Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Caine has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Would Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. Behave yourself. To understand... How he has made the mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor look too wise. Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our ongoing trek through the films of Michael Cain, stopping at all the familiar places, but also to places previously almost completely uncharted by man or beast. Romantic Englishwoman and looking at you, Marseille contract, the Wilby conspiracy. Jesus, there's a lot of them actually, isn't there? There's an awful lot of them. Lim- Limerick Junctions All. Limerick Junctions All. That's the voice you hear, Stephen Black in the Mallow News. My name is Michael Foley. Stephen is along with me on all of these movies. And today, Stephen, we're not just talking about a familiar landmark in the Kane story, you know, we're talking about one of his wonders, one of his pyramids, a hanging guard, a mighty column of Poseidon, if you will. Was, was that a wonder? A mighty column of Poseidon. Maybe to Mrs. Poseidon. <laughs> Today is a man who will be king, Stephen. This is a special one. And it's especially special because you've never seen this before. I didn't think people like you existed. Yeah, this is one of those rare occasions, I suppose, where whenever it was on television, I was out having a life. Wow. Uh, which, I, again, very rare. But yeah, <laughs> slipped under the old radar. Incredible. Much like uh, much like Rucker Howard's playing in the Will Be Conspiracy. See, I'm all about the uh, see all about the callbacks today, boy. Very nice, very nice, very very nice. Do you know what I want to do, Ashley? Before we go any further, I have to say, I do have to apologise, right? Because and it, was it was it Will Be or was it the Mar- oh, it was the Marseille contract? You may remember I went through a phase of calling John Houston, John Houston, Houston, John Houston. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I fought my corner. You were determined. You were determined and also correct, to be fair. I was wrong. I was out of order. The man's name is John Houston. 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 Good, good. I, I'm sure that'll come as much comfort to his daughter, Angelica Houston. 
<laughs> she also she also is Houston. She also is Houston. I think I was being confused by the city and the late Mrs. Bobby Brown and the fact that they're spelled differently to John Houston. And also, and also both 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 of them pronounce their surnames Houston <laughs> totally differently. Whitney yeah, Houston. Whitney, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. 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 Whitney Houston. Houston. Not Whitney Houston. There's an O in there. What? Houston. Houston. Or Houston. Whitney Houston. Houston. It's Houston. Oh, yeah, Houston? absolutely Houston. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, John Houston. Apologies. I, I, you know, okay. I take it all back. I take it all back. But now, okay. These, for me, these are the type of days I long for from the very start of doing this series. This is just to luxuriate in this. I have loads of stories of loads of tons of useless crap that's good. will never ever again be useful in any walk of life. Only this next whatever long we're going to be talking half an hour, 40 minutes. So, Let's dive into this and marvel. Well, I'm going to marvel anyway at the glory and majesty of Kane and Connery, proper school kid adventure caper in an exotic, far fun place. Kane's favourite film, by the way, of all his output. This, everybody, take a knee, take a bow, is the man who would be king. There is no place on earth too forbidding. There is no adventure too dangerous to dare. There is no dream of wealth and glory too impossible for the man who would be king. Connery and Kane, rogue and renegade, reckless and fearless soldiers of fortune on the richest adventure of their life. Across a thousand miles of danger, come with Sean Connery and Michael Kane as they try to capture a whole country, a scheme for rascals to become royalty in the long-lost land of Alexander the Great, Rudyard Kipling's The Man Who Would Be King. Right, I'm going to step back here. I think I've said I think I've set out my style about how I feel about this movie. You have have never you had never seen this before you watched it for this podcast. So have at it. What do you think of it? It's a good movie. I enjoyed aspects of it. Um there's a lot of a lot a lot of good things going for it. Beautifully directed, beautifully shot. Kane and Connery are fantastic in it. Uh has has its issues, but overall enjoyed it. And uh as you say, after the uh, shower of shite that we've been forced to watch for the last few episodes. This was a a, a refreshing bath. Yes, that's the kind of the redox, redox of the redox of the liver salts of uh, <laughs> of uh, it was a nice cleanse. Yes, a nice movie enema. Just get every, just get all that impact, <laughs> impacted will be conspiracy and Marseille contract out of our colon and just put us in a position for hopefully for the next episode where we're able to pass things more freely. We shouldn't actually be mentioning the will be conspiracy in this. We shouldn't be taking this name in vain. We actually I know, didn't I know. Marseille contract, 100%. Yeah. Um, romantic English woman. Romantic English woman. Dear God. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd yeah. say they had to get pour more sudsy water up their lads. It's going to take a while to get that out. <laughs> this is like another world compared to, yeah. the, to those movies. Yeah. It's like, I mean, obviously in terms of tone and the story and all that, but just in terms of your man's performance, the whole thing is just like a, it's like opening the drapes on a dark room and just opening the window. The whole thing is just refreshing to watch it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Again, mm. after the after what we've had to watch for the last few weeks, it is refreshing to have a movie start and be confident that, you know, casual and blatant racism aside, this is going to be a far more enjoyable journey than uh, the, the, the bumpy rides we've been on to date. I'm just so happy to hear that your customer card has been tick, tick, ticks all the way, all in the kind of very good to excellent, apart, as you say, from some obviously 
you know, the casual racism would have to be. Oh, well, to start off with, it, I mean, the casual racism is there from the start because obviously it opens kind of oddly on a pre-credit sequence, uh, setting the tone. Here we are in India, but it's blatantly Morocco. Uh, there are about two Indians in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I basically, were grabbed from central casting in Morocco. Uh, it is clearly not India, and no attempt was made to, uh, I, I mean, make any of the cast look anything other than North Africans. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's the whole kind of thing. Asher uh, sure, will draw a veil over that. There's the brown face, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, again, along the lines of uh, some lads trying to, you know, dress as the cool runnings fucking sled team um, for a, a, a Halloween fancy dress party in Mullingar. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're like the, the poor lad. No, I tempted this. I say poor lad. The, the way that Michael Caine deals with the lad eating watermelon on the train. Oh, it's um, a shocker. Yeah. It's a shocker. I mean, yeah. now, I mean, Yes, I know this now you're probably going to try and throw back to the time I had chicken tikka, a slice of chicken tikka in the cinema. But I will say <laughs> cinema, well, well ventilated train, not so much. If you've ever been on a train in Ireland, there's always the f- you fucking just yeah. shudder whenever you see some sham get on a, on a Houston station uh, with, <laughs> with a fucking, with a wreck a bag, some Supermax or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And just, this whole carriage stinks of it. So I could, uh, yeah, watermelon, fairly odorless. Odorless. Uh, he, but also spitting seeds in the floor. Yeah. Not good. Not yeah. good. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a bit of wish fulfillment there. I wanted to throw it out of the carriage, but indeed, I, I think it's not only that, it's the absolutely disdain with which yeah. Peachy treats him as just uh, it's a terrible aftertaste in the moment. Yeah. Indian guy the, gets uh, Indian guy gets into the carriage. He's, uh, to be fair, he's clearly a dose from the moment he opens his mouth, but then he starts slurping okay. into a, a watermelon and Peachy decides Kane's carriage to just throw him out. As you say, a spot of racism in the middle. Yeah, brown face. That is what the two, like mm-hmm. the the two lads decide for some bizarre reason to have a contract set up. I mean, what are they going to do? The whole contract thing. Fucking really, I did not understand the necessity mm-hmm. for it. Um, who are they going to sue each other for what? <laughs> uh, they make uh, like you, you haven't even set up the plot yet, but uh, so. I suppose I better let you go do that. Will I go do that? Yeah, yeah. Go do that. Come, go do your. You, you, go do your you, you, oh, not not my place to tell you your job, but you're kind of off the boil a little bit in this, so you might. Yeah, wanna, sorry. Uh, up your game. Up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll focus now. Focus. Center. Yeah. Center. 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 Okay. Plot time. Plot time. Okay. So the man who will be king. Uh, the film. It begins with Rudyard Kipling himself, played by Christopher Plummer, at work in the offices of the Northern Star newspaper in India. When this beggar is in really rough order lands in and said he's an, he's an old acquaintance of Kipling's, a chap called Peachy Carnahan, who's played by Kane. He tells the story of how he and his friend Daniel Dravet, two complete chancers basically, travelled to the far distant land of Kafiristan. Uh, so they had met Kipling three years before, who after bonding with the lads as fellow masons and observing a few scrapes that they got into, witnessed the signing of the contract that Stephen just mentioned there that sets out the terms of their adventure, to basically to travel to Kafiristan and rob the locals four ways till Sunday, as Connery says. But the terrain is impossible, but they brave the elements of the locals and they arrive in Kafiristan where they meet a Gurkha uh, who's called Billy Fish, played by the absolutely fantastic Saeed Jaffrey. And they meet him at the first city they encounter on their travels in Kafiristan. They persuade the local chief to allow him to train his army and set about, they set about conquering towns and villages. Connery goes into the, one of the first battles and gets hit, happens to get hit by an arrow, but it sticks in his bandolier so he doesn't bleed. So suddenly everyone thinks he's a god. Uh, and the, the son, actually, of Alexander the Great, who was the last white man to set foot in Kafiristan. So Peachy and Dravet 
brass it out and Connery basically poses as a god. They're eventually summoned to the holy city by the high priest who doubts the doubts all of this carry on. Uh, and the priests actually attempt to kill Connery. But when they tear open his tunic, they see a kind of Masonic pendant symbol given by Kipling to the guys before they left. You know, this kind of eye, the eye seeing eye or whatever it is. So this matches an image that was carved by Alexander the Great when he was in Kafiristan. So they believe him. So they're shown Alexander's treasures and it's enough to make them rich beyond belief. So they decide to tough it out again for four months or so till the weather is right and then they're going to head for the hills. But in the meantime, Dravis, Sean Connery's character, actually takes on an actual god complex, decides to marry a girl, Roxanne, played by Shakira Kane, and he wants to stay put. So the friendship splinters. Kane, Kane's character makes plans to leave after this, 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 this wedding. But as Connery goes to kiss Shakira at the wedding ceremony, she bites him, <gasps> draws blood. The priests, alarmed, the lad's cover is blown. They'd make a run for it. Billy Fish, poor old Billy, gets slaughtered and Dravit is caught. They're both caught and Dravit is marched to the rope bridge outside the city where they cut the rope bridge and he's sent plummeting to his death. And poor old Peachy is crucified but somehow survives. And they're so amazed that he survives and his life is actually spared. So he returns to India as a beggar, carrying only the severed head, still be crowned of his friend, which he leaves with Kipling as proof of this story. And that's the film, really. And of course, actually, it struck me before before we go into the stuff. It struck me that this is in classic fashion. Like the writer robs the, the entire story, turns it into a short story that travels through the centuries as a classic, becomes a great movie. And I'm guessing the Peachy Carnahan's family or Peachy himself, they don't see a gold sovereign for their trouble by typical fucking media. Uh, what was the name of your last book? Uh, I can't recall. Yeah, that was actually but... the name of my last book. I can't recall. <laughs> I can't recall. It's 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 a first in a series of 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 memoirs. Uh, yes, yes, it's terrible when an author exploits uh, uh, um, people's uh, stories uh, for their own benefit. <laughs> to disgrace. It's it's just abhorrent, frankly. I think absolutely abhorrent. Yeah. Anyway, where do you want to start how's, with? How's, this? How's the kids book going? Oh, terribly. How, where 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 do you want to start with? I want to go back to all right. Um, the way I want to go. Yeah. Okay. Brown face and the necessity of brown face. So. Okay. So the two lads decide that the only way that they can get safely through Afghanistan, from India into Afghanistan and into Kafiristan, is that if they black up and uh, assume the roles of a mad priest and his servant. Connery plays the mad priest who does, to be fair, a variety of very entertaining dances. It's amazing um, to see Connery dancing like that, isn't it? Classic pin- pinwheels that you know you kind of used to get at the beach years mm. ago. Uh, the only thing is, from a blackface, brownface perspective, Connery looks exactly the same. He looks like basically he's been outdoors uh, on a building site for a couple of days. Kane looks tender. Yeah. The, do you and, like, before you go on, do you like Connery's yeah. kind of Rastafarian looking that? It's kind of got the, the old dreads going. It's kind of like a cross between an, a Rastafarian and Dan Aykroyd's um, kind of brown face in trading in tra- places. Trading places, yeah, it's it's not good. Like, uh, I don't want to get into the whole, oh, you're overthinking it. Like, but I mean, you know, Kane doesn't speak the language. So how the fuck is he supposed to translate and how, how do they make their way through? It doesn't really matter. Apparently they he does speak through. the lingo. He says he, he says he speaks the lingo. Yeah, yeah, he does speak uh, the lingo. We were we were uh, so we were robbed of an opportunity to see Kane attempt a genuine Indian accent. Yeah, and yeah, yeah that was that, that's that, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Any bit of local lingo would have been fantastic. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. Anyway, they eventually make the way to the border of Afghanistan. They have to cross this river. Uh, they have to cross this river. They go through the river. They leave the horses behind. They use gold bladders, inflated gold bladders as, as flotation devices across. And they come out. They're back to the normal skin color because apparently this is this uh, whatever this fake tan that they're using, this bronzer, flash bronzer that they're using, <laughs> is water soluble. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know what else contains water? What? Sweat. Oh, right. So I'd imagine, like, within an hour of the two lads, if it, this is something that dissolves the water, the lads are going to be going around with streaks with another as, like, some like some poor girl on her, at her debs, you know? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You're definitely putting this down to... Um... You're 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 not putting it down to the lads just spending enough time out in the in the elements at this stage at that stage of the movie now. I, I, I mean, it, it depends on whether or not the 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 bronzer has an active SPF in it or something. I you, you know, no? that's true. That's true. That's and true. I mean, like, are we missing all the scenes where they just lovingly apply the 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 fake tan to each that other every night? Lovely. Yeah, it would have yeah. been lovely. It would have been a lovely, uh, yeah, a lovely addition to a buddy movie to see them just you know gently, yeah. softly, caressing each other's foreheads and brows with the bronzer. Yeah. Opportunity again. A little bit of a missed opportunity, all right. Anyway, go on with your casual racism. Where are we with that? Oh, Billy Fish gets an awful fucking uh, rod he here as well. He does, yeah. he does, he does. And actually, Saeed, he Jaffrey a... is ex- Saeed Jaffrey is excellent at this. Um, uh, but it's against the whole. He speaks English fluently, but then has to, in order to satisfy the, the audience back home, has to be all, oh, thank goodness and by Jove. Yes, it's all fucking cod shit. You know, he speaks English, he speaks multiple languages clearly, fluently, and then is reduced to this fucking bullshit mm, in, actually, order, in order in order to be entertaining. And actually, there was some issues in real life with 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 racism and Saeed Jaffrey on the set. Um, he just, I, I'm not sure how sort of, you know rancidly it wasn't Burgess Meredith and Hurry Sundown stuff but it was kind of um, very, like I mean there was I think that the tipping point I think was he wasn't the lads and all the actors had chairs to sit on while they were setting something up or whatever but there was no chair for Saeed Jaffrey Kane just lost it at that point and got very cross on his behalf and kind of said you know give this show this man some respect you know um, so there had to be a bit of there had to be a, lads had to be pulled into line even in that regard even in in the in real life, not just in the movie, but it, it is it is look at the brown face and I loved Connery dancing around though I have to say I mean get just yeah. just to get past that a little bit just to see you that's great you know I mean you just don't maybe it's just me I didn't you know I don't expect that from Connery levity yeah it's it's very rare that you you kind of you see Connery in a role where he's actually allowed to be I mean he's basically the the basically peaches the brains and uh, uh, Danny is the face of the operation. He's the yeah, the brawn. I guess to a certain degree. He's the brawn. He's, he's the heart of it. Like I mean, I think yeah. Houston, John Houston, uh, would have made the point to both Kane and Connery that basically he saw Dravid and Carnahan as two halves of the one person. So when they work together, you know they work, and when they splinter and the friendship falls apart, well then they inevitably will fall the pair of them. So yeah, like it's it's like you know Carnahan is and Kane, and Kane plays it so well, like just a sort of. Um, you know that that ability he has to be able to just know where to leave the pauses, how to kind of just pace a line. Um, so it's that thing he does. You can uh, you can see him thinking it out, telling you, Daniel, we've got to do this. This is how it's going to work, and it's just he does it perfectly. It, it is, and just like you and your 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 cane impression. <laughs> Spot on. Oh, my God. I, like, we've gone a lot, lot of episodes without doing any Kane impressions. We really not as many as you, Not as many as you. <laughs> 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 slip in. I don't even notice them. Yeah, apologies for the Kane impression. But yeah, look, it's just that. And and then you have this kind of elemental ele- element, which is Connery-like. It's just it's like he's just... And I would say it's not that he dominates the screen, isn't it not? Like, I mean, they play off each other so well. Like, it's like they just click together, but just he just has that physical presence. Um 
even though Kane's as tall as him, but he just has a more of a physical presence than Connery in the film, or than Kane, sorry, in the film. Yeah, I I would agree. Eddie, when you're looking at the screen, it's Connery's more of a, definitely. You understand, but obviously, Kane, Connery, they're both movie stars. But Kane, uh, Connery's a movie idol. He's you mm. know his his looks and his how he looks on camera. Essentially, I mean, when you think about it, he looks old as fuck. You know, this is a man who basically once you know started relatively late in his career, a lot like Kane went young, 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 young. Diamonds are forever. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was like, what the fuck happened there? It was like the hair just, it's a good look. Gone. Out of here. Yeah. Amazing. And it, it struck me watching it as well. Like he looks old in this film. Yeah. But it's kind of like yeah. to me, I, I don't know about you, but to me, it's like, yeah. Uh, we say Darby O'Gillan, little keep the little people, Connery, stroke Bond, Connery, right? It's kind of young, okay? But then 10 years yeah. later, he's like old Connery in The Man Who Will Be King. And then the, the aging process seems to slow down a little bit, maybe? Yeah. I don't know, but it's, it's like, like he goes from young to old. This, yeah. yeah, and then the 80s is kind of the settling ground for him. The settling ground, yeah. It's mad, isn't it? But I mean, he's just such this magnetic, he's just got this magnetic face on him. He also has that face that has the look of a guy that could go snap at any moment. Yeah. which I think in this film is, is really is re, is really important. I have no complaints. I mean, we better focus on our man a little bit. I like I've no complaints about Kane here whatsoever. There's something about him that I like I really like in this kind of kind of Charlie Croker, Carnahan. I think I mentioned to you there, even even Tosh and Too Late the Hero, the medic, the kind of, you know, kind of harmless sort of likely lad that's kind of involved in something way over his head, but kind of coping and surviving on pure neck, you know? There's something about, I don't know, I just really like him in these roles. It's just like, and I don't want to get too cliched about it and say, oh, well, you know, he's playing a cockney, so look, that's easy for him, a cockney working class guy. But I don't know, I, I can't put my finger on it. Maybe you can, I don't know. But I, 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 there's something about him that's so endearing in those in these kind of roles now that, um, I don't know, I think he's fab in this. I just think it's the way the, the, the part is written as well. as There's some credit to the, to you know, to the script, it's it's mm. a good tight script. It's a script to be knocking around for twenty odd years. It meant to be originally was it Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart, yeah, uh, and couldn't get made. I think that's one of the again one of the small dramas. It is a little bit dated. So the way this is again nineteen seventy five. This isn't the kind of typical movie that would be would have been coming out in nineteen seventy five. I don't mm. think if you look what was at the box office at this, uh, at, at that time, yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 all kind of out of its, it's it's almost coming slightly from a different planet, and we might actually look at that. It's in slightly, way. it's slightly, it's slightly anachronistic, like it's, it's slightly, it's, slightly. Now there's like, certain things then the 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 some aspects of the violence uh, and nudity would like you get to see you get to see Kane's uh, uh, arson this or Sonic Kane's arson. Sorry, uh, the nudity as well, both male and female. To be fair, you do get to see uh, um, Connery's peachy. <laughs> you do, you do. It's very dramatic, isn't it? You can yeah. kind of tell that Connery was into doing this scene. Like, oh, yeah, I'll yeah. do that. I'll do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like I mean, we might come back on that thing about the, about 1975 is an interesting point because this is also the summer that Jaws came out. Um, you know, to me, the man who will be king. There's a touch of Indiana Jones about it. That kind of escapist sort of just a really good adventure story, well told. But it doesn't put itself up as a blockbuster at all. Like it's not. I that's would, not I, it's not. No, and it's it's kind of that epic, but it's a, a really a story about friendship. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a real pacing problem with it. I right. think if you look at it, so look, it's it, there's complaints about the movie being too long. Like I didn't have a problem with the length of what I had was a, a problem with 
uh, it's an hour it's an hour and, a, and 30 minutes into the two hour and eight minute movie before Kane actually is or I keep saying Kane sorry before Kane, uh, Connery uh, becomes King and then yes. the final 30, 30 odd minutes are very very it's like very very quick transition from oh this is a good idea to I have now gone mad with power mm-hmm. it's a lot like uh, in Bananas uh, where you know the, the rebellion is successful and all of a sudden the 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 the, the former rebel leader is uh, giving proclamations about how from today on everybody who's 15 will now be 16 yeah uh, <laughs> So it was a very quick transition. I don't think they they really gave that enough time to breathe. Um, yeah. And I think the relationship between him and Roxanne kind of seems a little bit vague as well. It's like he sees her mm. once and then months later is talking about, you know, obviously because of the contract, he's been hanging for a while and obviously is in a male, exclusively male mm-hmm. only environment at the at the Chateau de Monk mm-hmm. um, up, up in the hills. So... Um, I just think I think it goes really quick. You know, all this time is spent getting them there and establishing tone and all of that, and then it's kind of the last thirty minutes. So shit, we better get the show on the road here in terms of you know like things falling to shit for you know him going mad with power, the friendship splintering, and then the uh, them uh, them both getting found out and yeah. the end. Essentially, it's really it happens in a very very quick period of time. I think they could have spent more time on that. I wouldn't disagree with you. I think it's a very good point. And, and funny enough, it, when I was watching it this time around, it, for the first time, actually, I think that kind of did cross my mind as well. That, that like, maybe it was because, you know, the way you can see the time at the bottom. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like, he still hasn't gone mad with power here, you know? Yeah, but, and uh, I think they don't, they don't, they don't really do anything to establish any potential chip in his shoulder that, 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 that Daniel has in the first hour and a half of the movie. And, like, they're both trying to better themselves. They're both, you know, they're both trying to, uh, you know, rob the country blind in order to make themselves wealthy rather than go back to an honest life in, in, in England. Mm-hmm. But none of it, you get to, there's no kind of chippy shoulder from a class perspective. Is that he, I mean, he's going mad or wants to be seen as an equal with Queen, Queen Victoria, which is fucking nuts. Mad. And it is, it is genuinely mad. And it's like, it goes, he literally goes from being a kind of a, you know, fairly amiable um, dumbass to giving out these very wise proclamations as the God King, uh, yeah. <laughs> the next you know it's <laughs> yeah doesn't one thing that I, I did love about the movie was the ending I thought the ending was fantastic I thought the like it really Houston, Houston uh, plays it really well like a horror scene the night before the wedding yeah uh, especially the noises coming from the temple outside and then the procession is like is, is like something out of a horror movie mm-hmm. is really really effective mm-hmm. uh, very unsettling the way like Maurice Shar's theme for this is fairly unremarkable it's fairly you know like epic it's it's Story based on the old irish yeah it's based on the old irish song the minstrel boy um yeah it's fine which again goes back to the blackface i suppose maybe that's what they were talking about <laughs> uh, but the, the 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 actual the the, the score to the wedding ceremony is mm-hmm. just it's literally these wailing and ululations from the from from uh the the crowd that are bringing roxanne mm-hmm. uh up to the to the the dais to be you know to participate in the marriage ceremony yeah yeah and the biting of the cheek and all that is it's it's just really effective it's really, really, well, really done. well and done and the rest of it yeah yeah the ending is the ending is my favorite thing about it i think from the st- from the night before the wedding scene to you know to when you look at the 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 end of the close-up of the skull with the the crown in it you know the skull has more hair and it's on its head that connery actually had so <laughs> an issue with, with continuity there <laughs> but overall uh, also, uh, yeah, I'm kind of going from here to that. Like young Christopher, Plum, uh, young Christopher Plummer as young Roger Kipling look is the spit of Magnum PI. Absolutely, Magnum PI with a brute foresight syrup. 
Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very, uh, Christopher Plummer had already started his career of replacing people in films uh, as far back as this. Like, so he replaced Richard Burton on this, didn't he? He did, he did, and there was there was almost an issue around that because I I think um, I don't know was it during the filming or before the filming, but there were certainly there were certainly people in in high places who didn't want Christopher Plummer in the film, and it took it took Kane and Connery to kind of insist that obviously you know again going back to. London in the early 60s these guys are long standing friends um, yeah. so it was they kept him on board and I'd say, look it's like it's a little bit like saying you know uh, this could have been Bogart and Gable this could have been Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas were also slated Newman and Redford were slated to play Peachy Carnahan and Daniel Dravid and it was actually Paul Newman who said to John Huston look you, you need to get you need to get two British actors. And I think he actually recommended Kane and Connery. And it's kind of, you know, when you look at the movie, you know, it's kind of impossible to imagine that, uh, you know, I mean, God bless them all. I, I, like, I was thinking, no, how, how would you cast them today? And I'd go for the, la- the the cast from 21 Jump Street remake. It'd be uh, Channing Tatum as Connery and Jonah Hill as Peachy. <laughs> it's Kane and Peachy as well. I think that would that's be... Not, that's not completely ridiculous. That'd be good. Good. Uh, That'd be all right. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd watch that. The only, the only concern you'd have there is that it would be kind of like everybody just thinks this is going to be hilarious. And this, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a funny film, but it's not a comedy. Like, but, uh, but now yeah. I'd go with. I, 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 I would, I would go with them. Um, Kane, Kane performances, Kane kind of moments in this. Was there any ones that you liked particularly? Anything that stood out to you in terms of scenes or anything like that with him? I like the the scene with the two of them in the uh, governor's office uh, towards yeah. the start, where the so they get pulled in the and they're nearly deported, like yeah, yeah, for, for being chancers. Uh, which Kane maintains was uh, completely improvised between himself and Connery. Really, which I, again, take with a do- with a kind of a, a, a pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know Connery was well, not notorious. Was famous for taking once he signed up to a movie, he would take would meet with writers and sit down and work through his own lines and work with ways of improving obviously his own dialogue at the same okay. time. but it's a great scene and it's really well um hats on and hats off really well kind of choreographed and uh, both of them are excellent in that i think the, towards the end where he's where he's where he's near tears when when uh when daddy takes his uh, swan dive off the bridge yeah detriments you call this detriments well i want to remind you it was detriments like us that built this bloody empire and he is out of the bloody raj that's on about to it's very good now the makeup stuff is really hammy though you know the he like talk about bitching he bitches about the fact that he had to get up early and he didn't become an actor to get up early in the morning uh it took <laughs> this two hours in real two, life we're talking right yeah it real life yeah it took two hours to apply the makeup uh mm-hmm. and he the scenes and he went back home and then they saw the they they look at the 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 footage to decide no he had to come back out and do it again he was fucking disgusted with that this is this uh, is then, this is the makeup i presume he had to apply as the beggar who looks yeah. you know completely dehydrated and his one eye is gone and all this kind of yeah. stuff yeah 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 that's all fairly and it's all fairly keen is that's actually probably the worst keen performance in the movie is the whole lippy beggar bit of side pretty much pretty much <laughs> you can imagine him bad, coming though, on sta- you can imagine him coming on stage left in a local production you know it's kind of, a little bit yeah it's not, my eyes blind my leg is weak 
it's just not it's, it's just not as good as able-bodied cane that's that's the you know it's just it's suffering by by comparison i love the bit like i mean there's a, there's a few like i i did enjoy i have to say the bit at the start with kane as the train bore so he, he, he gets on looking for uh christopher Plummer's character he gets on looking for kipling and uh, he yeah. sits in and eventually they get talking and he's exactly like one of those train bores you hear ranting on about basically saying do you know what there's too much government in india if they backed off a small bit and let honest Joes like you and me run the place and make our few bob, I tell you what, boy, we'd make a hell of a lot more of this place than they are already. Isn't that right? Aren't I right? Aren't I, huh? Aren't I right? Aren't I? And, you know, yeah, I feel that's at the stage of the conversation where you take out the old headphones and put them on. <laughs> and you just go, so I just got to listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, listen yeah. to the Kane podcast here. Yeah, like, it, 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 I, I love it, though, because it just, we've all, we've all sat opposite that fool, like. Is so, this the greatest Freemason movie ever made? Well, off the top of my head, I can't think of another one unless you want to. Well, oh, well, let's suppose you we- have Lethal Weapon One, Lethal Weapon One and Two, famously. Uh, yeah. Uh, National, I think National Treasure actually. National Treasure, that, of course. That yeah. has a Freemason a vibe to it. I can't yeah. think of any of those. Uh, it's Does the Da Vinci exactly Code have a Freemason vibe? But no, I'm getting them mixed oh, up. Oh, that's Treasure. a Illuminati. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's... scratch that. Scratch that. No, it is by far and away, and it's the one where like the Freemason Code the theme runs through the whole thing from the relationship between Dravet and Carnahan to the relationship they have with Kipling to the, to the link to Alexander the Great because you know, Kipling makes a, there's all sorts of casual references early on in the film that come to fruition later on for example that the Freemasons were actually active before the time of Christ and this is this is what saves Dravet uh, in Kafiristan so I mean yeah oh, by, a, by a mile it is Um let me see what else. I mean, John Houston, John Houston, and the lads seem to have had this fantastic relationship. This seems to have been. I mean, John Houston's career, obviously, look, he was already a made guy at this stage in terms of acting and directing and all that. But this was an important movie for him, I'd say, in terms of yeah, obviously, it was something he wanted to make for many years. But it was also considered afterwards like to be the best movie he had made in about twenty odd years. But he seems to have had yeah, a great relationship the with the lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They again, he's a. a, a a director's direct or an actor's director's director of course he's director's director he's an actor's director <laughs> very much an actor's yeah. director and you just let the lads off and uh, do with their thing kind of confused <clears throat> Kane a bit that didn't it did it okay like, was he wandering off set and into traffic <laughs> I don't know what's happening <sighs> up is down down is okay, up okay okay where's okay, my okay. bum okay let, let, I'll, I'll just go back and I'll just, I'll just finish that point for yeah. Stephen um yeah, and that actually confused Kane a bit. Like they had a very close relationship. Like Kane has described Houston as a father figure to him, but he was a very minimal director. I mean, at one stage, Kane asked him during the filming, like, "Why so little actual direction?" And Houston's response was, "You know, Michael, and whatever about doing a Michael Kane accent, I'm certainly not doing a John Houston one." He said, "You get paid a great deal of money to do this, so you don't need me to tell you what to do." So he just let him at it, and they seem to. But look, I think he saw. He obviously would have known and seen the relationship between Connery and Kane anyway. Long-standing friend, twenty-one years at that stage, friendship. Um, he just let them. He just let them play off each other. And you know, reading Kane's books um, about the about sort of the technicalities in terms of when they were on screen, they were, as they say, very generous to each other in terms of giving each other space on screen, giving each other you know, room to manoeuvre within the camera shot itself and to, and to be seen as well and to be equal partners in it. It's like, it's just a match made in complete another heaven, really, like, you know. Do you want to hear yeah. any Kane Connery uh, stuff? Or do you have uh, any? I, come on, you, 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 you should have we'll some Kane We'll come back Kane to one Connery of my favourite topics, uh, uh, dysentery. Oh, um, lovely, yes. 
Kane uh, maintains that he was suffering from dysentery through the majority of the shoot. Uh, every scene was him basically acting through gritted teeth. Um, <laughs> complained about food being let out, so the flies got at the first go at his dinner or at his lunch before uh, he 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 got to. Um, so the name for the mobile toilets on set it was I don't know just for this movie or just in general is the honey wagon, and Kane <laughs> needed to uh, perform his toilet. Um, <laughs> in the honey wagon went there and the whole thing was covered in flies and he's like <laughs> and he lost he uh he uh figuratively lost his shit oh. not literally i gave out to the guy running it the guy running running it uh it came up with a good, a good workaround he said look come back at lunch because all the flies will got over to the the, the catering table <laughs> which he did oh that must have cheered him up that, that must yeah. have done the trick for him. Oh, my God. Yeah, he said he was the, like the best set he was ever on, apart from the dysentery. And I have to say, actually, I mean, we have made it, and we probably shouldn't be, uh, you know, body judging or whatever that expression is, you know, but we have made reference to the fact that he's looked, you know, a bit more lived in in the last few movies. I actually thought he looked a bit svelte in this way. He's, he, definitely, there's stuff running out of him. He's, he looks a bit more... Um, a bit more, I wouldn't say gaunt now, but he's definitely a bit lighter. Um, yeah, you wouldn't recommend it as a, as, a, as a diet plan, though, would you? Oh, God, no, 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 no. It's a bit too Gillian McKees for my liking, you know. Um, so, like, yeah, like the Kane and Connery. What can you say? Kane met Connery first in 1954. Connery was on the chorus line for South, South Pacific, which, again, I shouldn't really f- find that odd. I really shouldn't, but I do. Um, but there he was. They were they were mates for years. You know, Connery had, had parties. You know what you used to call the parties? Connery's Pushy parties. Con- <laughs> Say that again. Pushy parties. <laughs> pushy. Parties for your pushy. Pushy parties. You're bring pushy, you're, you're pushy to the pushy parties. <laughs> that like for, like for really it's, demanding it, people, pushy parties. It, I'm going to make you have to, fun. Come on, Michael. It's time to smash that push. <laughs> he, had, he had parties called bring a bottle and a bird parties. Oh, my God almighty. I just did a Connery impression. He had he he had um, parties called bring a bottle and a bird parties. And I like Kane saying here, like, Kane didn't always have a bottle, so he brought two birds. I'll be honest with you. And they're, by the way, they're Kane's words. I, like, I don't know. I've never heard it working in that order. It's usually a case of bringing two bottles, to be honest with you. It always get back in the day, anyway. But, um... You're lucky to get one bottle. <laughs> no, yeah, just let me bottle in. Bottle and a bird. Bottle and a bird party. Oh, That's bird. real in-betweener stuff, isn't it? Isn't it just... But can you imagine? Like Connery and Kane out on the town in the early 60s. Oh, my God. One night, Kane tells a story about going out with him. He, like, he said, you know, Connery is just kind of this force of nature. He said he just held Connery's coat while he kicked the shite out of four lads. I think there were there were there was two girls with Connery and Kane and the four lads were given the given a bit of jip to the girls. So Connery just had enough of that. So he just kicked the shit out of the four lads. Kane's so just standing there with his jacket, you know? Wow. But um sports cane. Touch of sports cane with Connery and Kane. Um, so yeah, absolutely. As you know, Sean Connery was an avid golfer. Uh Kane not so much and uh, Connery actually tried to teach him golf once. Um, but the lesson didn't go well. It actually ended up with Connery just smashing, actually smashing golf club, breaking him in frustration at Kane Sporting and the Bitty. He obviously hadn't he watched Harry Sundown. Harry Sundown. That's a match. 
Well, I want to remind you that the detriments like us have built this bloody empire and the issues of the bloody road. Are you are you done with your little stroll down anecdote avenue? Oh God, no! But I, I but please, please, oh, I, I'll come back we, to my we, anecdotes. We need to we need to peruse the other side of the cane coin uh, here okay. and uh, discuss Shaka Ira's performance here. Shaka Ira, Shakira, the misses, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, no, I'm I'm asking you. Oh well, okay. Well, um, I like. Well, I thought she was good. I thought she was good. No, I mean, look, t- these things have to be put into context. She had one, she never even have a line. She had one word, which was to say her own name, which is Roxanne. And I'm not even sure she said that because she puts a veil up to her mouth and she says it. And it does sound dubbed. But I'm not saying it's not her voice. I don't know. But she's fine. I mean, the story behind that was, I mean, Tessa Dahl, Roald Dahl's daughter was meant to get the part. Poor Tessa Dahl lost weight, got her teeth capped, got ready for, to rock like. And then John Houston. <gasps> I just said John Houston. John Houston uh, turns around and says, no, I'm going a different way with it. And like, I mean, kind of weirdly to me for a show that like was 20 years in gestation, like he, he picks the Roxanne character over dinner, um, you know, on, you know, while they're shooting the movie, you know, Connery Kane and John Houston convince Shakira to take the part. I thought she was fine. She was good. I loved at the wedding scene. She's brilliant. She like so obviously as 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 a mere mortal marrying a god, she thinks that as soon as as soon as the wedding night occurs, she's basically just going to be incinerated by this god uh, once they have sex. She's just going to just disappear into a cloud of ash. And, and to be and to be fair, uh, working through the maths of that, it's been a good year since he's had any relations. So she's <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It's it's definitely it's the, the physics say it's possible, but she lets her eyes roll back in her head and she does this whole so she you know, it's kind of half fainting going up. I thought, I thought it was very good. Yeah, which was improvised on set on the morning of it because one of the local uh, women who was uh, or um, basically um, went into a trance at the bottom of the steps, mm-hmm. and Houston uh, convinced Shakira to kind of do the same thing as she was going up the steps. So I mean, able to. Improvise a little bit of the hoof, which is good as well. Never acted again, mind you. That was it for Shakira. Why? Why would you? Why would you go go in at the top and come out at the top? Great stuff. She was great. Some of the local actors. There was a couple of guys in particular caught my eye. I thought I thought the guy who plays Utar, which is the first chieftain they meet, the first guy and they train up his army. I thought he was brilliant, and he's only in it for about fifteen minutes. But I thought he was fantastic. It's a great story if you'll indulge me. Uh, about if I, if I must. <laughs> I keep I keep it short. Um, about with with the guy who plays the high priest, uh, and the guy who plays the high priest in the film Kafu Salim. His name is Karum Ben Bui in real life. Apparently, and look, I know your view on these kind of anecdotes, but look, I'm just going to tell it anyway, right? Apparently, the man was a hundred years old, maybe a hundred and four years old at the time. Houston saw him. He was a night watchman at a local olive grove outside of Marrakesh where they shot the film. He saw Not like guy. a local olive garden or anything like that, no. Not as far as I know. Not as far as I know, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not uh, au fait with the detail. Um, so he he saw this guy and said, "Yeah, that's my high priest." So he, again, guy he'd never acted before, brings him in. 
the poor guy was turning up on, on set, right? And they noticed he was kind of falling asleep and they thought, well, he's 100 years old. But like, they kind of went, you are, right? You know, and he, it turns out that he kept doing the night job. He kept doing the night watchman gig at the local Olive Grove while acting during the day. So they had to kind of convince him, no, no, you're fine. We're going to pay you enough that you won't need to do that job. It's his grand, you know? So that was kind of amazing. He's a, he is an amazing looking character. And well, I suppose when they get to Kafiristan, the fact that they don't look like Indians isn't so much of an issue because you're kind of moved. You're obviously moved thousands of miles away from India. He's, he looks, he looks the part of the high priest. He does, and that's a very good story, and I'm sure it is true. <laughs> you're pouring, you're pouring your cold water on the dust of another cane related. I'd say your man was probably in his seventies, had no birth certificate, <laughs> and wasn't keeping it, you know. Keeping an eye on the years as they pass by. Oh, One thing I did want to say is that the yeah. most the most difficult thing to do in terms of suspension of disbelief here is that there was a country in that part of the world that the English said, "Now nah, we're not going to invade this place." Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're the first going, "This is bullshit." Two lads <laughs> could just swan. Two lads could just swan in there. Uh, uh, we no this uh, untouched part of the world where there are uh, legendary treasures. Nah, you're grand. We'll, we'll head off somewhere else. Yeah, we're just going to ignore that. Actually, just the last thing on Cain and Connery. Do you find it amazing that they were never... Know, no, they were, they were in a bridge too far in a couple of years' time again, too, but they're not on screen ever together. They're not anywhere near each other in the film. Do you find it amazing that they never doubled up again in the film? Um, maybe ask me that question uh, after the next five or six podcasts. Uh, we would see why Connery may not want to have his career in any way tainted uh, by Kane. Uh, fair enough. I think it's incredible. I mean, they just they just they just click. I think, so I think, I think we, we, when we're looking, at, I think Con- uh, Kane's career kind of ascended at the same time where Connery was about to tap out. You know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so you're the, right. The, 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 and they wouldn't have, they would, the whole box office draw of having them in as two leads would have gone by the 80s, like, you know? Possibly right. You're possibly right. You're possibly right. Anyway, they did it once and it was fantastic. Reception, it's movie was a big hit. Kane actually gets absolutely hammered in Variety, in particular, in the review in Variety. Uh, variety wouldn't pay any for hamming it up. That reg. I know, I know. I, I mean, even, to, even it, to this day, the reviews are fucking dreadful. Well, like, it, it's it's a thing that kind of seems to be the one thing that was held against the movie at the time was that Kane was a, a, accused of overacting, just taking it a few steps too far. I don't personally don't see it. Do you see it? No. No, I, I didn't see it either. Got four Oscar nominations. Best writing for John Huston and, and Gladys Hall. Uh, best art direction, best costume design, best film editing. Uh, didn't win any of them. Um, but like you were saying earlier, and I think it's really, it is a really interesting point to make is that, you know, this is the year that Jaws comes out. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest just sweeps the Oscars. Um, Dog Day Afternoon is a big hit. I like, let me give you, I tell you what, let me just give you the best director nominations that year for the Oscars, right? You had Fellini for Amarcord, Kubrick for Barry Lyndon, Robert Altman for Nashville. Sidney Lumet for Dog Day Afternoon and Milos Foreman for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, that is, I mean, you can see, you know, the old yeah, Mark so Twain truly represented the hinge of history. You know, that's something, something yeah, that's a real new, new way of, of cinema is well and truly embedded there. This is this is something that's like a, th- a throwback. Um, yeah. As good as it is, it's you, know, you can't imagine. Like, for, I don't know, from an, an audience perspective, I mean, it's all well to say, well, it was on the Oscars, but sort of from a box office perspective, it'd be interesting to see what, you know, Jaws, obviously, would have been, I would imagine, the number one, in the, number one in the box office in 1975. 
I had a look. I, I, I had a look at the numbers, um, and I, I just, I just, I can't be sure whether this was for the year that was in it, or was it? Is it? Is it? What span of time? Okay, but uh, in the US, um, the man who will be king in this list would 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 have made eleven million dollars. Jaws is one hundred twenty five million dollars. Jaws. It's you know, it's just. But like that's a phenomenon. You know, it was just it was just a phenomenon at the time. Um, but you're right. Yeah, if, you look, can, if, if you look at the if you look at the top twenty five movies, there is this, like, yeah, this again. It would have no maybe the Hindenburg. Maybe it's that would be kind of an, another kind of throwback movie. But yeah, the Jaws, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Shampoo, yeah, the after the the Return of the Pink Panther. God fucking help me! Wow. Uh, yeah. Tommy, Tommy, like Tommy, fucking hell. Tommy, Tommy and Mark got nominated like, for an Oscar that year. You know? Jesus Christ! For that awful movie. <laughs> uh, yeah but it's a very it's a very eclectic different looking top you know top 10 top 20 list of movies and Jaws the fact that Jaws is on top of it kind of tells you where it's going to go you know it, we we know now it's telling us where where movies and, and, and where box office returns are going next and as, as I said the man who will be king I do think the man who will be king has that spirit of Indiana Jones in the sense of just like a great old kind of adventure story told well um, but it's different. It is. You're right. It's different. It's it's a buddy movie. It's a bit of class. There's a bit of class issues there. There's you know, obviously colonial racism. You can look back at the, you know, the the British Empire trying to impose the seven places. If you want to, if it depends how it depends how deep you want to dig with the man who will be king. I think there's something there. For oh, everybody, no, no. The, 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 uh, themes for Houston in terms of uh, power corrupting um, people going um, uh, basically treasure. I'm going to go back to the treasure of Sierra Madre in terms of people just losing their minds over gold. Yeah. Yes. Sir. Uh, also, that could be just bullshit. No, I think I think you have it. I mean, I, I think it's it's in that Houston vein, and I think you know, it's it was twenty years in the making, and those you know those are the teams he was interested in back then, and there were still the teams he was interested in nineteen seventy five when when the thing came out. Um, so, like, I suppose is there anything else we want to talk about here? I, th- I think we've kind of pretty much done it, have we? I think we're done. Yeah, like I mean, Mark's out of Kane for Kane's performance, whatever about the movie. What would you give him for this? Nine. Yeah, I'm taking one. I'm taking one off for the whole uh, one eyed beggar bit. It's yeah, very hammy. It's just I would have like I mean I still say it's one of his great performances. It's just I mean we gave Carter ten, we gave Charlie Croker ten in the Italian job. They're tens. This is this yeah. is just it's not even a criticism. It's it's a nine. It's a fantastic. It's a fantastic performance. Yeah, so that was Sean Connery, Michael Caine, the man who would be king. Deep breath out. That was lovely to watch. It was lovely, lovely to watch. So now we leave the mighty peak of the man who will be king and, oh God, just brace yourself for another fantabulous adventure with Dr. Horatio Hofnigel. Do you want to know the well, name the of the next thing. one? Well, it's a, it, yeah, I guess. But I mean, at this stage, it's just like, yeah, whatever. I you know, know. You know, it's, it's, know. it's not like you go to, and he went on to win an Oscar for his next film. You just know straight away, we know. you know, back suckling onto the teeth of fucking mediocrity. I I know I know I know very very little about this film that's coming up next, but the name alone, the name alone has me just worried. The next film uh, we're moving into 1976 now is called Peeper. You mean you haven't looked for your daughter since 1918? I've been busy. I think it's a comedy. Um, on paper, yes. In practice, maybe not. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I just want to stay here. Can I just stay watching this film? Just talking about this film. I'll, I'll catch up to your own escape to victory. How's that? Is that that fair? It's great. You just wang on by myself for, for 40 minutes on paper. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good plan. You're well able. Well able to wang on for 40 minutes and more, I'd say. Not a bother on you. Oh, God. Oh, well. No, look, look, let's end on a high. Look, this is great. Look, we had a... Look, it was lovely to watch The Man Who Will Be King and pay tribute to two great performances from two two of those great iconic British actors and you know long may it be watched uh, I'm looking at the poster now back in 47 a gun was a rascal a private eye was a peeper and murder <laughs> was only okay as long as nobody got hurt okay in stop fact, I'm gonna stop you there's no more text on the poster it's like a fucking book <laughs> in fact anything was okay with this peeper on the case because he wouldn't even know who'd done it even if he'd done it himself Oh, good God. I, I, do you know what? I just, I, I'm one thing we didn't mention in this conversation that will, re- again, refresh your palate after looking at that poster is look at the poster. <sighs> look at the poster for The Man Who Will Be King. It tells you exactly what this film is about. And it, it is one of those ones that, yeah, I want to see that. I want to see that. And I'm glad we did. And it was just as good as I've always remembered it. Stephen, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much Michael as always you are wonderful and it's a pleasure and a privilege to be in your company uh, join us as always uh, next week on the podcast if you feel like liking and subscribing you, you may do so because that obviously will make sure we earn many many more euros than the thousands that are already pouring into the Mark Cain coffers <laughs> it is up for questions at, at Mark Cain 2 on Twitter and if you uh, especially if you want to go and uh, kind of watch people along with us and you know get a question in there as to again why are you doing this uh, what do your what do your families think are they still talking to you yeah. and when is and when is Mick's kids book version of the bloody field coming out yeah yeah. All very pertinent questions. All very, all very, until, very valid questions. All very, very, until, very valid questions. Until then, bye bye. Bye bye. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at MarcoCane2. And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Mark of Kane is a Mallow News Two Cubes production. See you next time. Come on. Come on.